Today is my pleasure to welcome back to the program Consultant Physician for Rheumatology, Dr John van der Kellen. We're discussing a condition which affects quite a large number of Australians and yet most of us know little or nothing about ankylosing spondylitis. Dr van der Kellen, welcome back and it's lovely to have you here. Thank you for asking me here again. What exactly is ankylosing spondylitis or AS? Um, ankylosing spondylitis is an inflammatory condition that affects the spine uh, and predominantly the spine and the sacroiliac joints. And the sacroiliac joints are the joints that uh, connect the lower part of your spine with your pelvis. Um, so people often get pain down in the lower back. Um, and it's an inflammatory condition, but it's not primarily uh, um, confined to the spine and it can affect peripheral joints um, and it can affect your skin and uh, the insertions of tendons, uh, etc. So it can actually be quite nasty. It can be really nasty, mm. yeah, yeah. Is it genetic? There's a strong genetic component. There's a, a gene which is called um, HLA-B27, and that is associated with ankylosing spondylitis. Um, however, if you have that gene and you're, uh, you have a first-degree relative who has ankylosing spondylitis, then your risk of having ankylosing spondylitis yourself is in the order of 5 to 16 times uh, as much. So there's, there is a, a strong genetic component, yes. Does it necessarily mean if you have got that gene that you're going to get it anyway? No, not at all, um, because about 10% of the population have this HLA-B27. Um, technically, the HLA-B27 is not a gene itself. Um, it's it's a, a molecule that uh, is on your inflammatory cells and immune cells, uh, but it's something that we can measure. Yeah, so approximately 10% of the population have this HLA-B27 in Australia mm. and approximately a half a percent or 1% of the population have ankylosing spondylitis. At what age does it usually show itself? 80 or 90% of the time it occurs in people under the age of 40 and usually it's uh, in, the, in the teens or in the 20s that people um, first get symptoms. Does it affect men or more than women? Um, in the Caucasian population, it's more men. Uh, the ratio is about three to one. Um, but in um, other uh, populations, it can be a, a more equal uh, distribution. Do you know why that it affects one sex or one gender more than the other? No, it just happens. no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. Does it show the same symptoms as rheumatoid arthritis? Well, rheumatoid arthritis is an inflammatory condition as well, mm. um, but the distribution and the symptoms are quite different, really. Um, as I said, the primary site of inflammation in ankylosing spondylitis is the spine and the sacroiliac joints. Um, and so the symptoms are usually uh, initially related to the lower spine and to the buttock region. And what uh, people find is that they get a lot of uh, pain and stiffness first thing in the morning, and this tends to um, go on until maybe midday or later in the afternoon if they have a lot of inflammation, you know. Um, and they can get uh, this pain in the, in, the, in the buttock region and that can alternate between one side and the other. Um, and it's different to the normal sort of causes of back pain in that a lot of wear and tear sort of back pain it gets worse towards the end of the day and if you've been you know lifting a lot of things and doing and doing uh, activities such as that uh, is when you get the pain and stiffness so it's just the opposite uh, to that mm. when you've got it does it necessarily take your time to warm up or 
Yes, yeah. yes, and people find you know they have a hot shower or they do a few stretches in the morning, and and uh, and it takes them uh, the, uh, some time to get going. And in fact, some patients, you know, they say, "Oh well, I I do shift work, but I always ask for the afternoon shifts because in the morning it's, it's awful." You mm. know, yeah. is this because they're laying basically in one position in bed that it sort of sets? Probably, yeah, yeah, to some extent. I mean, I think it's a bit to do with your your basal uh, cortisol production and, and things as well. Um, you know, the your hormone levels fluctuate through the day, and I think that's got something to do with it as well. But it's typical for all those inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis that there's a lot of stiffness uh, first thing in the morning. Once a patient has developed AS, does it sort of gallop away or is it a gradual thing that that builds up it's um usually has an, a quite insidious onset um and it's difficult because they're often younger patients you know and they're in their teens or early 20s so a lot of the time people don't recognize the symptoms for some time um and usually to be definite about the diagnosis you need to have definite uh, changes on your x-rays and these things don't happen overnight either so in the initial stages it can be very difficult most people do progress to, to some extent um but it it really fluctuates a lot um, and some people will have an episode for a short period of time and then it settles down and then they're fine for, you know, years and then um, they get another episode and sometimes the second episode's worse than the first, you know. So it's quite uh, variable, actually. Mm. Is it curable? It's very treatable, yeah. And in mm. fact, there's new therapies that have come out over the last five years or so which are excellent as far as uh, treating it. Mm. Yeah. So if if you've got a patient who goes into remission can they sort of stay permanently in remission or is it likely to come back whatever um if you have ankylosing spondylitis then there is an exercise regime that you must do all the time and even if you were in you know in inverted commas remission um, you would still need to do this exercise uh, program um, which is very important as far as maintaining your spinal mobility and decreasing the inflammation in the spine um, but even if you do that some people will still need anti-inflammatories um, or even these other newer medications. So if you're treating someone and they're doing all of those exercises mm -hmm. and medication and all of those things, you're basically only holding it at bay? Yes. Um, I mean, a lot of it is about treating the symptoms, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, there aren't really good long-term studies to say um, particularly with the new medications that if you control all the inflammation that you don't develop the long-term spinal changes you know because it's a you know these are lifelong uh, diseases and mm -hmm. so to prove changes uh, in therapy take a long time you know um, so it's generally felt though that with these newer medications that hopefully those the severe problems that people have um, um, after they've had the disease for many years are less likely to occur. Mm. If you started off with um, with treatment and they go into remission, for want of a better word, mm -hmm. how much care do they need to take of themselves over and above the exercises and the medication? Is there a, a regime that um, they can't do certain things like lifting or 
those sorts of things. It depends a bit on which stage of the disease they're at. Mm. So um, a lot of people who have had the disease now for many years um, do have changes in the spine, and to some and their spines are more fragile than uh, than everybody else's. Mm. So they have to be really careful with things like. Uh, you know, uh, high-impact sort of sports, um, lifting heavy objects, that sort of business, because they're more prone to getting fractures of the spine. And this is one of the major problems with ankylosing spondylitis uh, down the track. If they're younger and there's not really many changes on the spine, then then really there's not that many other precautions that they need to take. Mm. I'm talking today with Dr. John van der Kallen, and we're talking about ankylosing spondylitis. Dr. van der Kallen, does it present with similar f- symptoms to osteoporosis? Um, no, no. Osteoporosis really doesn't give you any symptoms um, until you break a bone, you know, mm. so it's all very dramatic. Um, but with ankylosing spondylitis, uh, as I said, the spine is the main feature, but there are often other other features that uh, patients can have Um, and these can affect nearly any organ in Mm. a sense Um, but also a lot of the other musculoskeletal components Uh, one of the common ones would be a tendonitis or what we call enthesitis so this is inflammation where the tendon is attaching to the bone and a common place for that would be the Achilles tendon down at the ankle. Mm. So sometimes you will see a young person who has some niggly kind of back symptoms, but they keep getting this recurrent, uh, what's called, you know, enthesitis uh, of their ankles. Um, but similarly, they can get this uh, process happening around the elbows, like a, a tennis elbow um, or uh, at other tendon insertion points. You mentioned earlier about it affecting other parts of the body as well as the spine, and you mentioned about the lungs. What does it do to affect the lungs and the... So usually with lungs, it's a, it's a late feature of the disease um, and, and relatively rare. Um, they, it can cause a, a fibrosis of, of the lungs themselves, so that means that the people get short of breath on exertion and they're not able to transfer uh, gas, uh, oxygen as well. Mm. So they'd get short of breath, uh, essentially. Um, and some of that can be also related to the spinal features itself. So the classic spinal feature is that the, sti- the spine stiffens up. And when you look at that on x-ray, it actually looks like there are bony bridges forming between the vertebral bodies, so the different bones in the spine. Um, and when that's very bad, they, they call that a bamboo spine because it looks like bamboo, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so when your spine is like that, then that really restricts your breathing as well. Mm. Are there any other organs that it affects as well? So it can. Um, the eyes are a classic kind of one. And sometimes, again, like the tendonitis, people will, will present with a recurrent uh, episode of inflammation in the eye. Um, and it's not just, it's, it's kind of like a conjunctivitis, but it tends not to settle down like mm. conjunctivitis does. And often people need steroid eye drops and things to get on top of this. Mm. So they call, we call this iritis. Um, and again, it's associated with this HLA B27 um, component. Um, uh, ankylosing spondylitis is the classic condition in, in, a, in a broader group that we call the spondyloarthropathies. And the spondyloarthropathies, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good word, isn't it? Um, is associated with, um, it can also be associated with an inflammatory bowel condition. So it can affect your bowel in that you can get tummy pain, recurrent diarrhea, um, that's, that, again, persists more than you would expect just with a viral kind of uh, uh, bowel infection, you know. 
if a doctor was treating somebody, for example, the, the bowel infection, um, would that necessarily mask ankylosing spondylitis or would, would it already be present? Would they already know about it? If it's associated with the bowel condition, then um, usually when the bowel's active, then the diseases, the spinal disease and the musculoskeletal disease is active as well. Um, and, you know, it's hard if you have one episode of diarrhea with some tummy pain and it settles down, you know, it, it's most likely going to be a viral thing. But if it starts happening over and over and uh, um, or persisting for longer than you would expect, then, then it certainly needs to be investigated. Mm. How do you treat it? And you said about with exercises, but if someone is in the middle of, a, of an episode, do you just treat it with um, anti-inflammatories? With the ankylosing spondylitis, mm. you mean? Um, yes, the, uh, the anti-inflammatories can be really useful as far as controlling the pain and to some extent the inflammation. Um, some say, however, that the anti-inflammatories are just working as a pain reliever that's allowing you to do the exercises, mm. and it's really the exercise that, that helps settle things down. Um, but that's certainly the mainstay of treatment, and up until five years ago, that was pretty much all was available, you know. Sometimes you get anti-inflammatories that um, upset the tummy anyway. So mm. would it be hard to be sure that it's the condition right. and not the treatment? Yeah, yeah sure. So the anti-inflammatories tend to upset the upper, you know, your stomach mm. and, and, and the upper part of your bowel rather than the lower part of the bowel. So the symptoms are, are, are somewhat different. Yeah. So it's reasonably easy to to pick which is which. Mm. And mostly people present, if it's going to be associated with an inflammatory bowel condition, it's usually the bowel problems that are being investigated first and, and, and usually mm. the skeletal manifestations come later. Does the treatment change as the condition advances? It really depends on how it manifests itself. So if it's causing recurrent tendonitis, then you'd be really doing treatments for tendonitis. You know, mm -hmm. If it's the spinal disease and you do the exercises and you, do the, and you take regular anti-inflammatories and it's still not settling down, well, then you would go on to these newer, newer treatments. Um, you know, these newer treatments are very expensive, so the government's not giving them to everybody, and that's very appropriate, you know. Um, but if you have severe inflammatory disease, then you need these medications to get it under control. Is it life-threatening? On its own, it's not, um, but the long-term manifestations um, can decrease your life expectancy. Mm. So people can get, uh, uh, if, if their spine becomes very stiff, for instance, they can get problems with fractures. And if they happen over and over, then, that, then you get complications mm. from that and, and it can decrease your life expectancy, yes. Yeah. Once it gets into the spine, it becomes severe. Does this um, put the patient into a wheelchair? Um, it can affect other joints as well, and the hips are often um, uh, a sign of severe disease. And uh, if you've got uh, ankylosis, so fusion of these mm -hmm. joints, then it can be very difficult for people to mobilise. Yeah, yeah. So it can affect, in fact, their whole of their, their daily lifestyle. Oh, absolutely, yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And uh, it can go all the way up the spine, so it can go to your neck as well. So people really have zero movement in their neck uh, when they have had severe disease. 
Um, so that makes driving impossible, you know, because you just couldn't mm. turn your head. Mm. And in fact, they have real difficulty straightening, straightening their uh, uh, neck in, uh, entirely. So it sort of gets stuck in this uh, flexed position. So that makes life very difficult. Mm. And even, you know, simple things like lying on a bed can be uh, near impossible. Mm. Yeah, when you think about just lying in bed, would they need a sort of a special bed? Special mm, bed? Yeah, yeah, and, mm. you know, if, quite a number of pillows or mm. beds that lift up at the back and things. Mm. It's um, It doesn't sound like a, a very good uh, disease to get at all. No, no, that's yeah. right. But we're really hoping that with these new medications um, that uh, that sort of thing will be preventable, you know. Is there any, any surgery that will help to alleviate the problems? Um, well, again, if it affects peripheral joints, so hips and knees, then, um, you know, joint replacement therapies are mm. really very useful. Um, there's no surgical uh, operation on the spine that can really slow the progress. Uh, so but they're the main, they'd be mainly joint replacement therapy that you'd be looking at. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and I'm talking today with consultant physician for rheumatology, Dr. John van der Callen. Dr. van der Callen, we're talking about the the effects of ankylosing spondylitis, and I love that name. It's um, an mm. unusual one that yeah. we get here on the yeah. program. Yeah. We talked about it not necessarily being genetic, but what's the risk of it being passed down through generations? For example, if a, a man has it and he marries and has children, Mm-hmm. Would it necessarily go to his children or to his grandchildren if if it was going to be passed down? Sure, um, certainly the first degree relatives, like um, you know, children, if they had this marker, this HLA B twenty seven, then they would. That's the the highest risk group as far as um, passing the disease down. Um, what their absolute risk would be, it's, it, I'm not sure exactly, but mm-hmm. it'd probably be in the order of about ten to fifteen percent. Um, so pretty high. You know, given that mm. the background prevalence of the condition is about half a percent. Yeah. They've done some other um, studies where they looked at twins and uh, the associations there. And if you're a monozygotic twin, so, um, you know, from the same embryo, <laughs> then, uh, then the risk is about 63%. So um, that's pretty high. Um, but if it's diazygotic twins, um, so non-identical twins, uh, then it's about 12%. So there is a strong genetic component. Would you necessarily pass it down if you had it? No, 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 no that's right. No. Are there any other diseases associated with AS? I mean, we've mentioned irritable bowel oh, yeah. and, and, and well, those inflammatory sort of bowel. Inflammatory yeah, bowel. rather than irritable bowel. Yeah. Yep. Um, is, are there any other... Th- so the other one um, is psoriasis. So remember right. I used that great yeah. word before, that uh, spondyloarthropathies, <laughs> with ankylosing spondylitis, the other great name, um, at the top of that list, um, and then inflammatory bowel disease. Um, but psoriasis is also one that can give a form of uh, inflammatory back disease. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you can get very similar manifestations. So if you have psoriasis, then your risk of having a musculoskeletal uh, association is around 15%. Um, and uh, so your risk of getting this kind of uh, disease would be in the order of about 2 to 3%. Um, I guess it's for the sake of this program, it, it is um, important that we do state that because they've got psoriasis doesn't necessarily mean they're going to develop ankylosing spondylitis. No, does absolutely yeah. not. No, that's right. And you just get guided by the symptoms, you know. Mm. When you think someone might have AS, 
how do you start looking at it, discovering what they've got? Do you start off with okay. x-rays and scans? Um, well, first, uh, examining the patient's actually really important. Um, um, uh, people get decreased range of motion in their spine, so and this is particularly first thing in the morning when they've got all that stiffness. Um, one of the measurements that we do is uh, with uh, we get people to bend forward and w- with their knees uh, in a straight position to see what the distance is between the floor and their fingertips, you know. And most people, you know, can touch the ground or get pretty close. <laughs> Some um, of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, in these young people who you mm. would expect would do it easily, yeah. um, that can be, you know, 20, 30 centimetres, the, the difference. So, um, and that will improve as the day goes on. Um, and similarly, if they've been active, they tend to do much better and their pain go, uh, improves. You know, they go for a swim, they feel mm. great. But then they sit and have something to eat or go to work and sit at work and they find they can't get up from a chair, you know. They've got all this stiffness back. Um, so that's important. Um, and then we also look at those sacroiliac joints, so um, where that spine meets your pelvis, and those they're often tender in that area. So based on those kind of findings, then we would suspect the condition, and then we'd do some investigations, mm. and x-rays are the first thing to be done. Mm. Can you pick it up in blood tests? Um, not specifically, no. There's no... Sp- specific test for it. Um, we measure this HLA-B27, but given that 10% of the population have this HLA-B27 and it's only about half a percent of the population have the condition, there's a lot of people who will have HLA-B27 but not the condition. So um, the blood test on its own is not really particularly useful. So it's actually what you see is, is the important mm, thing. Yeah, that's right. Do they necessarily need to have scans as well as x-rays or no, no not necessarily the x-rays are no that's right if the x-ray shows the condition well then it's uh, it's easy um, but the difficulty is that the x-rays often don't show the condition for a number of years you know and um, and people can have the symptoms but a normal looking x-ray and and, and this is often uh, a difficulty in the in the diagnosis so under, under those circumstances then they might have a bone scan or a uh, MRI scan Mm. And that can help. In this day and age, there seems to be a lot of support groups in the community, like for prostate cancer and breast cancer and those sorts of things. Are there such groups for people with um, AS? The best one is really with Arthritis Australia, and they have got a bit of information about ankylosing spondylitis. Um, um, in the in the Hunter, I'm not aware of, uh, of a support group per se for ankylosing spondylitis. Mm. No. If they wanted, if people wanted to have um, some more information, they can go through the internet and, and get yeah, some information. Yeah, so Arthritis Australia is good. Um, I think if you uh, looked up ankylosing spondylitis on its own, you would mm. definitely find some information. Mm. There's a number of American sites and things. I think any site that's uh, sort of sponsored by one of the medical journals or one of the uh, arthritis associations is reliable. Yeah. I think sites that uh, say there's a cure, um, you really have to uh, take with a grain of salt. Mm. So it really is a condition that once you've got it, you've got it. Yeah, that's right, and you have to manage it. Mm. That's right. Mm. I've been talking today with Dr. John van der Callen. He's a consultant physician for rheumatology, and we've been talking about ankylosing spondylitis. Dr. van der Kellen, thank you so much for coming in, giving us your time and so much information. That's a pleasure. Thanks for um, asking me again. Thank you for being here. That's it for Wellbeing for today. And until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of the team thanking you for listening and we wish you well.